Denise got away long before I did. I stayed in eastern Kentucky and in my mom's orbit for years after Denise left. I mean, I could have left sooner, and I, I almost did. I had scholarships coming out of high school for theater, debate. I turned them down for a variety of reasons. Uh, my girlfriend, fear, being manipulated by my mom. I did almost make it out shortly after graduating high school. I was attending Hazard Community College. Hazard had hired a new theater director, Gary Ellenberger. Gary had a PhD, and Hazard was damn proud of their professor. But certainly Gary had problems. He was in his late 40s, and he liked girls much younger than he was. No, not, not illegal young, but icky young. He was probably 48, fell in love with an 18-year-old student. Gary lasted about eight months at Hazard Community College before he was thrown out for trying to elope with the 18-year-old. Oh yeah, Gary and Beth, that was her name, had planned it to run off to Virginia and get married after play rehearsal one evening. Turns out Beth couldn't keep a secret. She told her sister, her sister told the parents, parents show up the night of the attempted eloping and escort Beth out of the building. Gary, well, he goes crazy, starts trashing the college, throwing computers, breaking windows, the whole nine yards. I'm standing there watching all this like, what the fuck? When the cops show up, arrest Gary for destruction of property. Gary was fired as soon as he got out of jail. Now that being said, Gary Ellenberger was a good theater director, and he had some good contacts. One of those contacts was Edward F. Emanuel. He was head of the theater department at San Jose State University. Ed Emanuel's main claim to fame at the time was he had written a screenplay for the movie Three Ninjas, a film about three kids who were, yeah, you guessed it, ninjas. Gary had been one of Edward's students, and the first play Gary directed at Hazard Community College was a Civil War piece Ed Emanuel had written called A House Divided. Gary flew Edward in to Hazard to see the production. I was the lead of the show, and after Gary saw the show, he offered me a full-ride scholarship at San Jose State. I jumped at it and agreed on the spot, but I never got there. Edward flew back to California the next day. He said he'd be back in a couple weeks to see me work things out for the scholarship. Two weeks later, Emmanuel pulls into the yard as I'm shooting basketball with some friends. I walk over to him and shoot the shit for a couple minutes before saying I'll walk him in to meet my mom. He looks at me, oh, don't bother, Brett, I can handle it. Go back to shooting ball. Me and your mom will talk for a few minutes. Idiot me doesn't think anything of it. I go back to playing basketball. Edward disappears inside to talk to my mom. He's in there about 20 minutes before he comes out, white as a sheet, gets in the car, doesn't say a word to me, drives away. And I never hear from him again. It takes about two weeks for me to find out what happened. Emmanuel was telling my mom what a great opportunity this was for me. She pulls a knife. Actually, she says she will gut him from elbow to asshole if she steals her son. That kind of broke my back on leaving for a while. I started dating Christy, got engaged, and continued my criminal career. I wouldn't get away for another five years, not until Christy broke up with me and I met Susan. Christy, she was a preacher's daughter. I'm well-versed biblically, but not a believer. Severe lack of faith brought on by having a mother claiming to sell her soul to Satan and believing shit like a social security number was the mark of the beast tends to have an effect on a child's faith. Now, I loved Christy, but we grew apart because of the religion. We were together for five years. Christy realized I was never going to be a believer, and she broke up with me. She had a little of that grass is maybe a little greener on the other side shit going on. And hell, it probably was. I mean, I certainly was not a catch. I was breaking the law. I had no job. I, I was pretty useless. So Christy breaks up with me, and I end up marrying Susan within eight months. 
Welcome to this episode of the Angler Fish Podcast, where we visit the darkest corners of our online lives. I'm your host, Brett Johnson. The United States Secret Service called me the original internet godfather. How did I get that title? 39 felonies, a place on the United States Most Wanted list, an escape from prison, and I built the first organized cybercrime community, Shadow Crew. Shadow Crew was a precursor to today's darknet and darknet markets, and it laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels still operate today. This first season of the Anglerfish podcast tells of my rise and fall as the world's first internet godfather. It's a fascinating story. You'll learn how cybercriminals think, how modern cybercrime came into being, and why it's so successful and hard to stop, and how I was able to turn from a life of crime to one of using the knowledge I acquired as a criminal to help protect others against the type of person I used to be. We've talked about mom, dad, the whole crime bit, you know, as a, as a young man before I get involved in the cybercrime and branching out on my own. And what we're going to talk about today is, is kind of how both of us got away. And, and the way that, that I get away from that segment of my life was through my relationships. And I, I'm not sure if, if you were like that or not, Denise. Not entirely. I mean, in a, in a certain respect, there were people in my life that always seemed to be there when I needed somebody to be emotionally supported, right. you know, an anchor almost. So I had a friend that I'd made at Hazard High School, Carol Brown, who um, was that friend for me. Sure. And so she had went to Bria, and so I went to Bria because I could afford to go to Bria, you know, go and work your way through, and that was a wonderful opportunity. And she gave me that string or that anchor that I needed to support me enough for me to be able to step out and do that. We were talking last time about you and your relationships and how, <laughs> you know, you, you got stuck in that. You had opportunities. Sure. Really, I mean, full scholarship, right. full ride right. UT, full ride University of California at Berkeley, the San Jose thing. Was, right. It just these amazing opportunities and you didn't take them because you, I think you didn't have that support. You didn't have well, that I, enough to be able to break free. Well, there's a few things that, that I think that you're probably right on the support. The, the bigger thing for me, and it's always been that way for me is having that other person in my life. All right. So I didn't have, the, the, the love of the parents necessarily, okay? So it, it became important for me that my, my main goal, even today, my main goal is to have someone that loves me, okay? So Which my is first, normal. I think, well, I think everybody wants somebody to love them. I think it's normal, but not, not to the degree that I take it a lot of the times, all right? So when my first real girlfriend was a girl named Christy. Her dad was a preacher, and I had these scholarships, certainly. And because I had someone there that loved me, that wanted to be with me, that took priority over every scholarship, over every single thing that I was doing. So she became my life. 
<laughs> for for five years. I was with her for five years, and um, that ended. You know, it's interesting you say that, and I truly believe that Christy loved you. Absolutely. With all her heart, and I truly believe you loved her, and it's interesting that you bring up that it ended after five years because in my own personal relationships, mm -hmm. I have difficulty getting close to anybody. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And so I wonder, <laughs> you know, if it ended with her because she was too close. And it could have been, I mean, it's so, so you know, a lot of my life circles around that fear of being abandoned, of having the people that are important to you leaving. Okay, so when I break the law, typically that's, that's so I can get the cash to show them how much I love them. Instead of saying it or showing it through a relationship, because I Because you're not good enough. Right, because I'm not good Just enough. Just you, you are not good enough. And I think I, I've had those same feelings of they're going to find out one day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll see that. They'll see through the facade that exactly, I'm not good enough. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then it'll be over. Right. So... Don't get too close to them. I won't let myself get too close because sure, sure. then it won't hurt as bad. Right. You know, it'll be it'll be okay. You just move on. And I think I wonder if you and Christy didn't work out because of something similar. Well, I think that's, that's a lot of it. I really think that's a lot of it. And and today people who knew me back then with my relationship with her, they, they often say that would have been the one right there. That would have been the one. Now I'm very happily married to my wife right now. I oh, love her to death. Michelle's and She's awesome. a great woman. But back then that was, that would have been the one for me at that point. And you know, of course I shit around on it. So I, I didn't cheat on her, but I, she found out that I had, I'd talked to this girl. Aww. And at the same time I was not, and she and I have actually talked last year. We talked for a while about this. But at the same time, from her point of view, she was very, very big in Christianity. She's not as much now, but back then she was very big in Christianity, and I was not. I mean, I went to church every weekend, but I was not a believer. Well, we kind of had Christianity from a right. different ex exposure. Exactly. I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like saying to somebody, almost I'd imagine like saying to somebody who was in a cult, right. you want to go to church. Uh, hell no. Exactly. No, I don't really. I mean, because of the experience. Absolutely. You can't, our mother had a whole warped thing of religion, like most everything else. Oh, but yeah. Religion was a big one. And so you can't help but think about that in terms of looking at religion right now. Right. Would I like to go to church? I kind of would. But... There's a part of me is like, uh, I don't know. Because of that, I think that's part of it. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. But back to you and Christy, do you think that's because you were trying to push her away? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, with me, a lot of it is. She was too good it, for you. It, she's too good for me. It, I, it can't be as good as this. You know, something's blah, blah, gonna blah, happen. Blah. Something's go the hammer's going to fall at some point. Yeah. I've not proven myself enough. Blah, 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 blah. Right. And at the same time, she's on the other side. And, and we had this talk, like I said, last year. And, and she was on the other side saying, well, there's got to, he's not really involved in church. I can, you know, maybe I can find a better. So we both were going through that at the same time. And of course, it falls apart. 
and we were both kind of hard-headed. And there was your family. There was the family. What she knew about Absolutely. the family. And she knew and the criminal she, aspects and everything else. Yeah, and you know, so, that's a lot for anybody oh, to absolutely, process. Absolutely. You really want to get involved with something right. like that. So, of course, it falls apart. And, and I can understand that. I mean, we both understood and understand that. And within six months, actually within eight months of that relationship that went on for five years ending, I am married to another woman. Yeah. And, <laughs> okay, so, and the woman that you married. Susan. Susan. Was so much like our mother. She was. She was. And I don't know if I ever told you this. Shockingly. Yeah, she had, I knew who she was. at. The, we were, I was at the community college. And I knew who she was because basically she slept with every person around at that point mm-hmm. and, and acted very slutty in school. She was a very pretty girl, but... She was okay. Yeah, this guy comes up to me, a buddy of mine comes up to me. He's like, man, the prettiest girl in the school is right down the hall there. And I'm like, where? <laughs> He's like, come with me. And it turned out it was Susan. And I'm like, okay. So she's sitting there talking to two guys, and I, I, of course, it was that macho bullshit all of a sudden. I go in, and I'm standing there listening to her talking. These two guys are trying to win her over, and I finally looked over at her, and I'm like, uh, hey, you want to get away from these idiots? That's the first words I said to her. You want to get away from these idiots? And they looked at me like, what did you say? And I was like, I asked her if she wants to get away from you two idiots. (laughs) Yeah. And that That was it. So I went to her, I met her, I went to her parents' home. She was living with her parents. Went to her parents' home the next night, and that was a complete nightmare. And of course, too blind here to see it or or to accept it. But I walked in the house, and the house was like a hoarder's house. You had to literally kick garbage out of the way to find a path to walk through. You had to clear garbage off the couch. There was garbage in front of you, in your feet. I mean, it was piled up all over the place. And I ended up dating her and marrying her within six months after meeting her. Yep. I even said to you, I was like, don't do it. Let me tell you about her. Oh, yeah. And you were just dead set. I love her. I'm marrying her. And I was like, no. And yeah. Yeah. And she was mom. And she was, she was horrible. I mean, she, uh, it was just, and I, I you knew you turned that, into dad. I knew what the day, I, I knew the day that I got married, the day that I was marrying her, I, I said to myself, I don't need to do this. But at the same time, I was like, I guess a part of me thought, well, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> we get married. I had faked a car accident. I don't know if you knew that or not. To pay for the wedding. I had faked a car accident to pay for the wedding. I had gotten the money from USAA and I was... Sending USAA, I had the insurance where they would pay for lost wages. So I was, I was forging a chiropractor's statement for lost wages. And I would send them this, this forged chiropractor statement once a month. And they would send me $800 a month. And that's what we paid our rent with until USAA finds out that it's all forgeries. And then they send someone down to say, hey, we're going to put you in jail. <laughs> so we were married and living in Lexington by that point. And I was, I was working at Lexmark. I was taking a full class load and I was doing all the cooking and cleaning mm-hmm. because Susan would not. Right. So I was doing all that. And of course, once that $800 disappears, the job at Lexmark, I was working uh, 40 hours a week at that. And I, I couldn't do it all, man. I couldn't. No. 
something had to give. What gave was a job. And by this point, I'm like, got to make money. So I start doing telemarketing and start doing telemarketing fraud as well. So that's the, uh, the next avenue of crime <laughs> in my life. And of course, you know, Susan, she, I don't think she knew I was, well, yeah, she did know I was breaking she the knew. law. She knew I was breaking the she law. She knew, and it was just, what can he get me? Yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah. So it was like, what the hell, man? And I continued uh, up until I get involved in cybercrime and everything. But I mean, up until that point, started telemarketing fraud. Uh, of course, what happens is, is I, I, I have to quit the job at Lexmark because I was just so tired, I couldn't do it. So from there, I start working at a cemetery, booking. I remember that. Remember that I was I was working I telemarketing that. at a cemetery, and the call was, "Hi, this is Brett Johnson from Bluegrass Memorial," and I said it right like that. Hi, this is Brett Johnson calling from Bluegrass Memorial Gardens. We're having a promotion this week, and you have won a free gravesite. <laughs> I said it exactly like that. So we we were giving away free gravesites, and I was oh. the guy who made a contest out of it. And I booked a lot of them. That lasted for, I don't know, four to six months. I was bringing home some money doing that, but not a lot. I got fired on that because I started complaining about the job. The owner of the cemetery, the director, he wanted me to start selling grave spaces. And I was like, dude, I'm not doing that. And so he fired me the next day Oh wow! because of that. Then I went over to Kroger, worked in the deli at Kroger, stole a lot of food out of Kroger while I was there because we had to eat. That lasted, uh, I guess, eight months. Oh, I, even before Kroger, the next place I went, they were selling this diner's club card. Is that about the time that you had to start paying the rent for real because exactly. USA found out? About the same time I had to pay the rent for real, and I started working at this, uh, the Lexington Diner's Club, which they sold this, this little card that you paid $40 for the card, and you bought one meal at select restaurants, and they gave you another meal for free. Okay. So I started doing that ended up breaking into their offices because I was only making, you know, $200 a week. You can't pay the rent and eat on that. So I ended up breaking. I waited until everybody went home, went over there at midnight one night, broke into the office, stole like 400 of these cards and started selling them myself. <laughs> so of course I get caught doing that. It was easy enough to figure out who had stolen them. So I get arrested. I don't spend any time in jail. But I get arrested and charged with theft by deception was what that was. So the next job I have after that was working for the Shriners Club, the Shriners Circus. And man, I did well at that. I mean, I started, I, I was banking all kinds of money. I, I don't know, $800, $900 a week just collecting donations from Shriners Club. That job ends and they move over into selling food baskets for the Kiwanis Club which the money at that point was not nearly I as good. I remember that. So I'm like, man, I got to make money somehow. So what I did was is I stole their phone list. And started calling yourself. Started calling myself, telling them I was with the Kiwanis Club, and I would go around and collect money, Kinda either like cash or check. Kind of bucket out. Exactly. I'd either collect cash or, cash or check, and I got arrested doing that. I went to Versailles, Kentucky to pick up some checks. Wasn't it... The police who you called and solicited? You know, that's exactly what happened. One of the solicitors on the phone list, he was a Versailles police officer. I walk up to his porch. He was like, I've already called the Kiwanis Club. You're not with them. I was like, oh, well, thank you very much. I get back in the car, <laughs> try to get my ass out of Woodford County. That's where it was. 
and I make it like two miles before the cops pull me over and arrest me. Spend three months in the county jail at that point for theft by deception again. And then See, that's uh, what I was talking about. Intentionally hurting yourself. Oh yeah. You called and solicited. Well, I didn't know he was police. a cop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was always that. So I spent three months in, in jail for that. We had lost our, our place we were renting in in Lexington by that point. So I get out and me and Susan, we have to move in with her parents. That's where we move in. And we end up sleeping on the living room floor amidst all that garbage. We have to clean the garbage away every night, lay a mat down and sleep on that. We were there for three months and I'm like, dude, got to do something. Can't, can't continue to do this because you know, you can't get a job in Hazard. That's right. So Paul, Susan's uh, dad, he had purchased the two boys. So in the house, there was Susan's dad, her mom, me and her, her two brothers, and her sister. All right? And we slept in the living room. Their dad had bought the two boys a desktop computer. And I get over there every night trying to figure out how to make money, no, no, no idea how, and start pirating software. That's what I started. I, was, I would ha, were on these wares channels, these like Pirate Bay and the Torrents today. They had software then, so I got a copy of Adobe Photoshop and Microsoft Office and Microsoft Windows. Started selling those on this. It was a precursor to Craigslist. It was uh, USA Classifieds was what it was. So I started selling those for twenty to thirty dollars a pop with a crack that would turn it into the full fledged software, and that's what I started doing there. So started selling that stuff and uh, got enough money finally to move us out of that trailer, that, their mom and dad's trailer, back to Lexington, Kentucky. And by this point, I'm finding out there's money to be made in online crime. Yeah. The real first money, I, I was doing pirated software that turned into installing mod chips into gaming systems. Uh, back then the gaming systems were the PlayStation and uh, Sega Saturn. So I would install the mod chips in the, in the system so you could play the pirated software. And then that turned into uh, doing the same for cable boxes, cable television boxes, so you could watch all the TV. Yes. About the same time, I find out that I'm watching TV one night and they've got these Beanie Babies. I find eBay, of course, I'm hooked on eBay. And I'm not real. I got a job, so I moved back to Lexington, Kentucky. Get a job working at the J. Peterman Company, like from Seinfeld. That's right. I worked at J. Peterman. J. Peterman had all of the. This was when the movie Titanic was out. J. Peterman had bought all the movie props from Titanic, and man, they were selling like hotcakes. So you'd buy a you'd buy a life jacket for. $200, you could sell it on eBay for $600. You'd buy a dinner plate for $195, they'd go for $600, all this other stuff, right? And they were in high demand. Well, me working at J. Peterman, I was able to see when the items were coming in. I could cancel other people's orders on those items, put my name or in the front list and buy the items and then sell them on eBay. And make the profit. And make money. So I started doing that. One morning, I get a knock at the door of the apartment that me and Susan were living at, and it's the police. I'm like, what the hell, man? Because by this point, I'm, not do I'm doing mod chips, pirated software, and the Titanic props from, from Jay Peterman. So the cops come in, and I'm like, yeah. 
And they're like, you're selling Titanic props? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, where are you getting them? And I'm like, I'm getting them from Jay Peterman. And he's like, how are you getting them from Jay Peterman when no one else can get them? And I'm like, I work there. I know when the orders are coming in. And he looks at me, he's like, oh, you work there? I'm like, yeah, I work there. And he looks at me, he's like, well, shit, we don't even need to be here then. And I'm like, okay. So it turns out that cop, his name was Pat Tingle. All right, and I will come to know this guy. Oh, no. So he leaves. I go to work that day at J. Peterman. I'm fired that day. Because they find out what you've been Because doing. they find out I've been doing that. So now no job. The pirated software and the mod chips aren't really cutting it. I was on eBay anyway, and I'm like, got to make money somehow. Didn't know how until Bill O'Reilly's on TV one night talking about Beanie Babies. This one peanut the royal blue elephant was selling for $1,500. I didn't know you couldn't go down and buy one of these damn things. So I, I skipped school the next, next day, go around all the Hallmark stores looking for the peanut thing. Can't find a little guy because he's on eBay for $1,500. But ingenuity kicks in. They had these little gray beanie baby elephants for $8. <laughs> pick one of those little guys up, stop by Kroger on the way home, pick up a pack of blue writ dye, try to dye the little guy. He turns out looking like he's got the mange. But I sold him, I sold him. I had a fake picture of a real one, put it online, sold him for $1,500. And that was the real first cybercrime I committed right there. That was the first one. And took to it like a duck to water after that. So yeah. Wow. Thank you for listening to this episode of Anglerfish. I appreciate it. If you like it, please subscribe and drop me a line saying hello. Hello is always good. You can reach me direct at brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. That's Brett, B-R-E-T-T, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at anglerfish, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H.com. Please tell your friends about us. Rate and review the Anglerfish podcast wherever you can. In the next few weeks, we'll be launching Season 2 of Anglerfish, which will examine the darkest corners of our online lives and what you need to do to remain safe. Please email me questions, comments, concerns, personal stories, and any topics you might like to hear discussed. That's brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Brett Johnson. Stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant.